Good evening. My name is Thomas Steininger. I welcome you to Radio Evolve, our weekly webcast for consciousness and culture. I'm very happy to welcome this week Jeremy Johnson. Jeremy, are you here in the radio? Hi, Thomas. Yes, thank you for having me. Jeremy, it's, it's great to, to have you here. Um, I do hear a little echo. Uh, is, is the, you, you don't have... Uh, some loudspeakers in your back, but maybe it's just on my end, this echo. I think it might be coming from uh, the the one username here because they're unmuted as well. Okay. That makes sense. Good. I, I think we are, we are fine here. Uh, Jeremy, I would like to... Uh, introduce you to our audience. Uh, you are a writer, an essayist, and editor. You worked as a staff editor for Reality Sandwich magazine. And Jeremy is the founder of Neural Learning, a conscious media learning platform. You are the current president of the International Jean-Gabso Society, an academic society that hosts annual conferences and aims to further integral pedagogy. And you are writing currently your first book, Seeing Through the World, Sean Gebser, and Integral Consciousness. Jeremy, may I just start a simple question? Who is Sean Gebser? <laughs> what a question. Uh, sure. Because so, if, if, if I may just jump in, many people know Integral Consciousness. I would say not so many people know Sean Gebser. And I think there's a connection that we really, I'm very happy to, uh, happy to really go into because Shock Gaps has a lot to do with integral consciousness more than many people are aware of. Absolutely. Um, so there's also, so Gepser, uh many of you know, as, as you put Thomas in the uh, description of this episode, uh, many people are aware of some of Gepser's ideas more than they are aware of Gepser himself. So in the integral theory, integral community, the terminology that we Uh, used quite frequently of the archaic, magic, mythic, mental, and integral structures of consciousness were coined by Gepser uh, in the 1940s. And he was, uh, gosh, I want to say a poet, a philosopher, a cultural phenomenologist. And um, much of his writing has to do with exploring this transformation of consciousness. And uh, he was writing, of course, in the mid-century. Mm -hmm. And what is uniquely excellent, I think, about Gepser's work is how, yes, it's, it can be difficult to read sometimes, but uh, how engaging it is with the kind of the phenomenology of the material he's looking at. So he's looking mm -hmm. at art, he's looking at poetry, he's, he's giving you uh, concrete examples, he's, he's moving through the structures, and they, and they begin to take a, a concrete shape in you as, as, as the perceiver, as the experiencer of these things. And so it's, it's a very kind of a tangible way to go through uh, the evolution of consciousness. And um, his most famous work, the work which I think uh, Wilbur had read or was influenced by was The Ever-Present Origin. It's the only book that has been fully translated into the English world. Uh, and he was interesting perhaps because he wasn't exactly a developmentalist. He actually had quite a few things to say about it, but he still wanted to express this idea that, you know, there is some kind of transformation taking place. And he was right at the core, uh, right at the heart of, of tremendous uh, political and historical upheaval in, in Europe in the 1930s mm -hmm. and 40s. He 
he left Germany, right? Um, he was born in 1905, uh, so he has a child. I suppose he lived through the First World War. Um, but as the Second World War was coming around and, and fascism was, was on the rise, he left Germany. He uh, spent some time in Spain. He narrowly escaped Spain, right, during uh, the, the Franco-fascist uh, uh, state. So he bar- barely made it through the border there. Uh, he spent some time in Paris with a lot of intellectuals uh, like Sartre, and he met a few artists like Picasso or uh, some mystics like uh, Govinda. And uh, he settled in Switzerland where he uh, began to do some work with Jung and Iranos uh, lectures and uh, Jung Institute and so on. So he made his way around Europe and he was quite the character. He met quite a few interesting people who we today would, I suppose, um, be very interested in for their commentary on consciousness. And and so um, his engagement with these questions, I think, is sort of a, is a firsthand sort of thing. You know, he really lived through some of the, the most... Um, tectonically transformative moments in in Western history. And yet he was not a pessimist about it. And that's what I really like about him. And and perhaps what what is so interesting about him for me as as, as a a scholar of his work is how through a crisis, he still had this kind of, I wouldn't call it optimism, but there is this sort of openness, right? That this sort of openness for the future, which which, uh, struck me uh, so powerfully when I first read him. Yeah, and as we are also now in times that uh, to some degree remembers a little bit to the 30s, uh, he feels somehow also kind of uh, like we're living in a similar time. That makes makes his experience also interesting from a different angle. But still, I would like, after the, this first question, who is Sean Gebser, um, ask you as a young, integral uh, thinker and scholar, why Jean Gebser? Uh, there, there's so much integral theory out there right now, and um, uh, you are all aware of that. How does a young thinker like you uh, get uh, so interested and involved with uh, some kind of integral thinking that you you said it, it's mid-century? He, he published a book 1949, I think, uh, the, mm-hmm. the ever-present origin. Uh, what makes him interesting now for you? Mm-hmm. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head when you mentioned that uh, in many ways, uh, our time of, of destabilization and, and crisis and this sort of this general feeling that systemically we're coming up against the, the end of the way of thinking and the beginning of a new uh, form of thinking, or at least the need and the demand for a new way of seeing the world and relating to the world. And uh, because Gebser's own time, I think, was so resonant with our own it just makes what he's talking about uh speak so so clearly and presently to us it's almost as if he's speaking through time uh but just maybe to add like a little layer of background uh biography for myself i uh, had discovered gepser just in my early early 20s um i had been reading ken wilber and i had been reading a lot of integral theorists and Wilbur really kind of was a, a portal for me to begin to explore a lot of other integral thinkers. So I was very curious about uh, Pierre Teilhard de Chardin. I was very curious about uh, Gebser. I was very curious about Sri Aurobindo. So I, I kind of went off and started to read them directly. And of those thinkers, and they very much were influential for me as well, but of those thinkers, there was something about uh, the writing in Ever-Present Origin 
and its expression or perhaps this transmission of what he was describing as integrality uh, was so uh, tangible, it had such a presence to it. It was immediately um, moving, it immediately kind of moved through the conceptuality, I think, the, the, the fun abstractions, right? The kind of metacognitive thinking. And it, it hit something, it went straight to the core. And I, I really felt that presence in the book and in the writing. And there was something about it that I had to kind of sit down and, and, and listen to and tune into, right? And um, so that was sort of the beginning of it for me and the reason why for the past, you know, 10 years or so, I've, I've, I've stuck with, you know, coming back to Gebster um, and thinking about his integral approach with, you know, his, his structures of consciousness and his uh, phenomenology of the integral structure specifically and the kind of criteria he was looking at for his time, I think is still very much a question for our time. And yes, it's been 70, 75 years, right, since he's written that book and he's, he had written other books after that and before that. Uh, but in general, I think his, his major thrust uh, and understanding of this aperspectival world, right, this integral world and its relation to time, its relation to space, the way in which we... Um, uh, move through the world and understand the world uh, to me holds a lot of potential. And, and I've kind of just seen it as something that continues to explain what's going on today. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's been a very um, insightful way of thinking about the present mm -hmm. and, uh, and putting us in a context that is sort of parallel with, with his own time. Before we go to the parallels of his time to our time, there's something you, you mentioned several times now and it really made me curious uh, you talked about your reading experience of uh, of Sean Gebser in his book, and you said something that it has a transformative uh, kind of capacity while reading it. And you said also something like he how he moves through the conceptuality of thinking, and that kind of also uh, really resonates with my own reading of uh, of Sean Gebser, both in English and German. And uh, there's something where, let's put it that way, uh, he's not very easy to grasp from a conceptual mind. And my kind of uh, uh, understanding of interpretation of that uh, is he also is not writing just for the conceptual mind. He, he attempts to do something that really uh, irritates the conceptual mind. And maybe this is also related that he really, uh, did not see himself as an evolutionary thinker, and he, mm -hmm. uh, because he he had some ideas that evolution uh, as a thought is very much related to modernist thinking, uh, in, in, in his terminology to to, uh, to mental uh, thinking. So there's there's something where he does more than just uh, creating concepts of an integral perspective, but he tries to uh, kind of. Um, introduce you into an integral perspective that can be very irritating as long as you looked from your own mental capacities. Is this your experience? And this is maybe even part of your interest in Shogabs. Oh, absolutely. Uh, so yes, there, there are many moments that, you know, in trying to take notes or organize and, and re represent uh, some of his concepts and ideas in the book, it really doesn't, it really doesn't take just as an idea. It has to be more than that. So the, the difficulty in translating it to, 
to people is to try to actually get them to kind of experience it. And I think as, as a reading, as a book, I, there are many philosophers who do this in different ways. And I would say even Ken Wilber does it in his own way as a kind of, um, as a, a literary psychoactive, right. Or, or literary mm-hmm. catalyst with Gebser, it, 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 there is a presence and there is, I think a, a style in his writing and in his, in his impartation of these concepts, he's really constantly trying to get you to encounter this. Um, and in some way it's a kind of a, a pointing out instruction, you know, um, and, and when he's describing time, right. So, this is a, one of the, the key, not just a concept, but a, something that he really would like the reader to experience right off the bat in ever-present origin is, is what time is, right? And so the t- time is integral to integrality and the phenomenon of time and not just a abstract conceptual time, but time as presence. And so when he's talking about the transformations of consciousness and he's talking about, okay, here are the structures, he's also kind of constantly trying to get you to, to move out of the conceptual and to encounter these things as, as a whole. Um, and he has this, again, it, it's, it's just a word, but he describes it as synaresis, right, as, rather than synthesis. But for him, this is, again, it's, it's a tangible thing. It's a seeing from all sides. Uh, so he's he's constantly looking for ways to describe an experience, a phenomenological experience, right? Um, an experience of uh, a concrete reality, and so each structure is is um, attempted, at least, to to be uh, depicted in that way. So uh, yes, yes, definitely his his ability to move beyond the conceptual or through the conceptual, perhaps, um, was very important for me. And then I think part of that, and why that's so interesting, and perhaps also why they're for me, it's exciting to to think about the kind of scholarship we can generate if we sort of pick up Gebser's challenge as to how do we continue to express integrality and write about it and be scholars about it mm-hmm. in a way that is not bound by the mental structure, mm-hmm. uh, the conceptual mental structure, which is very spatializing in the way it kind of talks about things higher and lower, right? Um, measuring things in terms of quantification and levels and so on. How do we, how do we do this in, how do we break through that or see through that and express mm-hmm. that seeing through in our literature and in our writing about integrality? Because I think um, that that's, that's where the real kind of challenge is, is going to take place for, for integral scholarship is to actually begin to move into the domains that the maps are talking about and actually allow the writing to be an impartation or a participation in that integrality. No, very, very much so. And I think you really also hit it uh, when you kind of mentioned how the time, the concepts of time and the dimensions of time is, is a very integral part of his thinking. And there's uh, something that he calls... Uh, talking about uh, a perspective an uh, uh, perspective world where he talks about the transparency of time and uh, uh, th- that is something that uh, is already difficult uh, for our usual understanding of time and and maybe uh, one even could say that our usual uh, understanding of time is a kind of a spatial understanding of time. There's basically the time we come from and the time we go to and the time we are. But basically we see it as, as three points, the point that of the past and the, the point where we are and the point where we talk, go to. But it's a kind of a spatial understanding of what time is about. And I think even in the title of his book, uh, in the English title, of it, the ever-present origin makes already a very deep integral point. Mm. He, he's talking about the origin of everything, but he's talking about this not as something that 
was it something? He talks about this being something ever present. And at least to my understanding, that holds some of these psychoactive uh, uh, ingredients that his, uh, his writing really uh, holds for whoever really goes through his texts. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Uh, that, again, it, you know, it's right on the first pages. He's talking about you know, the past, present, and future as, as making up this whole and that it is all present. Um, and and he, he's continuously mentioning this interesting uh, statement that the future has as much influence on the present as the past does. Mm-hmm. And so if, if you begin, okay, that sounds sort of like science fiction, right? Um, but I think he's, he's actually asking us to move into this sort of, um, I use this word loosely, an intuitive space uh, where we can kind of begin to look at time, not in a linear way, uh, but as something that is multifaceted, perhaps multidimensional. And so um, this is sort of where I, I'm very interested in in sort of imparting this and, and sharing this with people and engaging with other integral thinkers, because uh, one of the things, not just what he's talking about in terms of time as his presence, but also one of the things he does with the structures, he really kind of uh, allows you to engage with a particular time and space modality, as you would call it, um, uh, the magical, right, in terms of its timelessness or the mythical mm-hmm. in terms of his rhythmicity. So he's looking mm-hmm. at the nature and the qualitative dimensions of the times as they relate to these structures. So, so you can kind of investigate this as you're reading along in yourself. And so when he gets to the mental, that the age that we sort of take for granted of spatial time, of clock time, uh, it, it begins to really concretize that form of time too. You begin to really see like, okay, I've been taking for granted this time form, uh, but by sort of fleshing it out by seeing through it by realizing it is a time form it sort of dislodges you from being fixed in it mm-hmm. you know you, you start to kind of play with the different time forms and you also start to um lose i think uh the rigidity the sort of perspectival rigidity of being a modern person right looking back and going okay the mythic and the magical were less real than the mental right mm-hmm. so you begin to kind of get dislodged from the linearity the sort of um strict developmentalism and begin to kind of have a, a, a more um, a less linear appreciation of the evolution of consciousness. Uh, Cause it gets, was, he wrote and critiqued quite a bit about, you know, evolution and development and progress and so on in the ever present origin. I think those critiques are very, very good and very sound, uh, but he, I think he did begin to use the word evolution uh, towards the end of his life. Uh, but more in the terminology that we would understand, right. The sort of coming to consciousness of, of, uh, of the integral or coming towards wholeness, right? So, yeah, again, all of these things are, are really kind of, they really kind of hit you in a non-conceptual way. Yeah. Um, but the concepts are there too, you know, and, and I think it actually strengthens um, the mental because you realize there are some contours to it, right? There, there's, a, there's a qualitative dimension even to the mental itself and its abstraction. So at least when you're in it, you know you're in it and you know, when it's right to use it, right? It kind of deflates its self-importance. And I think that's so important for us as, as integral thinkers to, to have that in our, in our toolkit, so to speak. That's very cool. Let me use that to, to come back to my second question, um, this question, why GAPSA? And uh, let me rephrase this a little bit. Uh, I guess that most of our audience has heard the name uh, Ken Wilber, and I, I think quite a big portion of our audience has studied Ken Wilber. So 
uh, I guess that uh, there will be definitely people out there who say, uh, I, I, I really know integral theory a lot. And uh, why should I go back 50 years here and study uh, this guy? Uh, uh, th there are much more developed understandings of what integral is. What would you, as someone who is now president of the International Shongepso Society, answer? Why you say it's important to study this man now in the beginning of the 21st century, also for integral thinkers? Oh, yes. So for all the reasons we've been, we've been mentioning just about um, his stylistic approach, even if you uh, are not necessarily going to abandon a, a, a more overtly developmental approach, I think having this can... can only strengthen uh, your capacity to to be present with the structures, to concretize them in yourself, the magic, the mythic, the mental. So I think there's a nuance there that's really helpful. Uh, there's a moving away from over, overt abstraction, which is also very helpful. And I would just say this is like, okay, if you're an integral scholar, that's what can really help. Um, but I, I do think the one aspect that, that has not been picked up uh, by Wilbur, and by contemporary integral thinkers is this time dimension. It, it, it's this, so Gebser describes the integral as the achronon, as sort of the, con, the, the realization of ever-present origin in the human being. And this is a kind of a multidimensional sense of time and space. And he's trying to express the evolution of consciousness in a nonlinear way. Um, so for me, what makes this interesting as a scholar is not, this hasn't been really worked on that much or developed that much. And then secondly, um, it's very compatible, in my opinion anyway, with a lot of postmodern thinking, right? Because uh -huh. postmodernism, right, is all about, oh, let's, let's move away from the grand narratives. And I know they probably wouldn't like Gebser for that. But, but in terms of the kind of deconstruction of progress and the critique of modernity, Gebser gets under it in a spiritual sense, right? Uh -huh. Without becoming the you know the materialist cynic is sort of deconstructing everything he deconstructs the the mental sure but but in gapser is this vision of the integral world right the aperspectival world so i think there's a lot of room for really interesting scholarship and and, and a lot of playing nice with postmodernity right in mm -hmm. terms of uh, deleuze and and uh even sort of contemporary contemporary writers on you know network theory and um, combinatorial creativity and the kind of internet age style thinking about decentralization and so on. The A perspectival has a lot of resonance, I think, with our time in terms of in terms of that avenue of, of, of and line of thinking. Um, to use a very mental term, <laughs> that line of thought, right, is mm -hmm. can be really opened up and explored um, by scholars. And um, I would only other, uh, say one other thing about it. And it, it's more of the kind of the feeling tone in, in the way Gebser is describing our crisis, right? And, and, he, and he kind of, he poses, we'd have to go into it for a while, but um, to, to describe it briefly, he, he kind of sums up our age as this sort of Janus faced, right? Like looking backwards and forwards, a sort of two-faced age, looking and, and embedded in the mental, embedded in the spatial consciousness, um, and yet birthing this integral consciousness, this time freedom, he describes it, space freedom. Uh, and so in this kind of in-between state, there's all of these things that are going on, this kind of crisis and catastrophe and mutation and novelty, all kind of happening all at once. And so I think in Ever-Present Origin and a lot of his writing, Gebser really, really, really sort of gets the quintessence of our age as this sort of 
explosive potential of the future and transformation and catastrophe all kind of happening at once, which is a very integral sort of phenomenon. It's all happening at once. So to have somebody like that in, 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 uh, as, as a thinker is very helpful because he's not seeing it one way or the other. He's saying, no, 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 it, it, you're right. You know, the, the people who are talking about climate change and, and the kind of crisis of, of late capitalism, they're absolutely right. You know, all of that is true. And yet there is this mutation going on, right? There's this sort of novel form of thinking and relating to the world mm-hmm. that we need to lean into. And for Gebser, the crisis is around time, a crisis is uh, what he calls time eruption, right? So the speeding up of history, the, the out of control of uh, technological ev- uh, revolutions and innovations and machinery, right? Um, the out of controlness of, of sort of social revolution, right? Like we've, the, the awakening of the left, he describes, and the birth of the machine go hand in hand with each other and like the mm-hmm. invention of the steam engine and the French Revolution. And so we have this kind of rushing forth of history as time is sort of entering the stage of, of, of consciousness and things are speeding up and, and um, advancing. But with that comes a lot of crises, right? Mm-hmm. Um, as like the, the philosopher Paul Virilio, who recently passed away, talks about dromology, right? Like mm-hmm. the, the signature characteristic of modernity is speed. And so Gebser talks about all this back in the 1940s, right? It's, it's like the kind of symptom, symptoms of our age. Uh, and so to me anyway, it's like, okay, he's, he's just speaking to exactly what's going on. He's got his finger on the pulse in terms of the, the crisis of, of uh, uh, the mental age as it attempts to birth okay. into the integral. Let, let me bring uh, in here some criticism that I sometimes hear about Rob Gebser, also from integral people. And uh, the, the critique is very simple and somehow also very compelling. Uh, just saying, uh, look, um, he, Gebser, wrote in the 1940s, uh, postmodernity hasn't arrived yet. Uh, Rob Gebser has no, he has kind of a vision of something that he, co- he calls aperspectival and also integral. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's amazing, that's powerful, but he, he, he's not able yet to distinguish between the postmodern uh, uh, consciousness and an integral consciousness. Basically, he's conflating both. And what you're describing right now uh, is basically, in many ways, sounds like a, a version of postmodern critique of modernity. So the critique is basically, uh, yes, it's true, it's interesting what he's bringing, but he hasn't differentiated yet uh, between postmodern thinking and integral thinking, and that's why, in some way, he's outdated. What would mm-hmm. be your response? So I, I, I don't really see it. And for a while, I, you know, I heard that response too because I know Wilbur wrote about that in some of his books. Um, but I, I, I just don't really see. Uh, sure, Gebser was historically writing before um, uh, postmodernity moved in vogue, right? Uh, so. At the same time, though, uh, most of his critiques of the mental structure of consciousness um, fit both within what we would call modernity and postmodernity. And in fact, the, the, the kind of the very edges of the mental rational, right? So like as the structures move through a kind of um, uh, using this loosely again, a life cycle, right? An efficient phase and a deficient phase. Mm-hmm. The end of the mental age is ratio. 
it's cutting itself into a thousand bits. It's deconstruction, right? It's mm-hmm. atomization. And so Gebser was writing about that. He, he kind of knew that that was the kind of um, the ontology of the late mental, that it would continue to deconstruct itself until every single individual had their own little worldview, their little perspectival worldview. So I think mm-hmm. it, it's probably a little unfair to, to frame Gebser as somebody who actually who didn't intuit postmodernity when he was in fact in some way um, at least prescient enough to to uh, point out the kind of the, the major grooves of the postmodern and so I, I don't know I mean there are some thinkers who would say that the modern and the postmodern are also kind of integral to each other you know mm-hmm. that the postmodern is very much a critique mm-hmm. it's a move into a more complex space but it is also a kind of a response to modernity um, so I would say Gebser's not just responding to modernity. He's, he's, he's looking forward, and he includes a little bit of the postmodern in his writing in terms of deconstruction and uh, sort of um, intuiting uh, what, I forget who said this, the war of all against all, this idea that you know, nobody's going to be able to speak to anybody else and we're all in our own kind of Mr. reality tunnel. Okay. So, so yeah, so I think he wrote about that quite, quite well back in the yeah. 40s. And for the time, for the 40s, I think that was was quite prescient for him uh, to be discussing. Yeah. Because I uh, am curious what you think about, because I have something like a a counter narrative to this, (laughs) to this critique that I just posed to you. And just curious what you think about this. because in some way, I think it's true. Uh, when he wrote, postmodernity has not arisen yet. Uh, uh, 1950s, he, uh, the, f- the first postmodern thinker really. Uh, now, you, at least uh, the postmodern thinker uh, in, its, in its mature way uh, uh, came about. And, and then in the 60s and the 70s, it's it, it really un- unfolded as a, uh, on one hand as a, as a philosophy and other, on the other hand also as a lifestyle, as a culture in that. So in that sense... Uh, it, it, it was not possible for him to kind of really observe a postmodernity in his mature state or something, something like that. Um, mm-hmm. But on the other hand, um, maybe, uh, could it be that he, because he envisioned something that holds uh, postmodernity, as you also described, as being kind of uh, modernity in the state of, of itself critique, uh, that's the deconstructing capacity of, of, of postmodernity. And, and he saw something beyond that, which he saw as basically breaking with the mental uh, and what he called the aperspectival and, and integral, that he hold a very integral vision of this integral. But mm-hmm. when we move through uh, the relativism of our postmodern times and uh, integral movement restarted to respond to postmodernity in its deconstruction. There was also kind of a, a, a dialectics in where every time when you try to start for real to uh, make a next step in consciousness, a kind of a mutation, you also react to what was before. Mm. And that early integral very much is also a reaction to postmodernity in, in something that for some time makes sense. But overall, also becomes one-sided, and maybe this is my kind of critique of the critique. Maybe uh, gaps in his vision was more integral, integral than the early integral as it developed, because it's, it's, it it didn't just hold this anti-postmodern stance. 
you try to think this as a whole and, and the whole that is, em is emerging, also including the capacities that uh, the postmodernity brought to the integral worldview. So that's kind of a thought I have, and I'm just curious. You think that's oh yes, that, Thomas, I love that. That's that's great. That's um, pretty much what I think as well in terms of, uh, like I mentioned, you know, the the postmodern at least, you know, the the main beats are in there. You know, he's, he's seeing the whole process in there and maybe it needs to be fleshed out because he simply wasn't alive and writing as a scholar moving into the seventies and seeing what happened in the eighties and nineties. Mm -hmm. uh, but in terms of cultural phenomena and so on, but he, intuitively, spiritually, uh, phenomenologically in his writing, it's, it's present in the book, you know, and mm -hmm. you can read every present origin and go, okay, he's talking about the postmodern here. And again, you know, the, the way in which he moves beyond that is that he, he sees it as part of this whole process. It's already kind of folded into uh, what the integral mutation is, is sort of working towards. And I think one of Gebster's helpful uh, commentaries right at the beginning, I think of his, uh, the second uh, part of the ever-present origin, um, the chapter, The Interim World, where he's talking about, he's using the example of, of the Janus-faced world, right? The kind of mm -hmm. infrastructural time periods that are deeply chaotic. And and you can get a little bit of the new, right? That there can be a mutation of consciousness, but it's still wrapped up in the, in the old. It's still wrapped up in, let's say, the mental, right? Mm -hmm. So we have these kind of uh, admixtures and mutational hybrids of the mental and the integral kind of blending in with each other. And so you might even see that, you know, post-modernity and, and Gebster sort of intuiting, you know, deconstruction and, and talking about, um, you know, the, the 60s, the 70s as a sort of spiritual generation, which we now kind of um, uh, 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 categorize as the postmodern, as the green. Uh, that was just sort of part of this inter interliminal space right this interstructural space between in the midst of a transformation so yeah it's going to be a little bit of a post-modernity and it's going to be a little bit of integrality but since Gebser was talking about that all of that it, you know he is you know more in my opinion more integral than the early integral thinkers that were trying to sort of resuscitate grand narratives and big picture thinking and pushing against post-modernity I don't think Gebser would have done that if he lived in mm -hmm. the 70s or 80s um, I think he probably would have, I mean, just in terms of the style of his writing that's present and, and what I naturally begin to do when I read him is to go, oh, you know what, he has something very interesting here that is very compatible with, with the postmodern wave and can kind of move the postmodern wave into something else. You know, mm -hmm. it's like it, it acknowledges deconstruction, it acknowledges the sort of green values, but it's, it's part of something else. And I think it's because of his concept of, of time, right? The mm -hmm. presence of time in the future. Um, so what Gebser brings is, is this sense of becoming. Uh, mm -hmm. And I, I don't know how directly he read Henri Bergson. Um, I know T.R. Chardin did, but um, mm -hmm. there is this sense of the future informing the present. And because of that, because he has this view of, of there is a transformation going on as a whole, makes him not quite a modernist or a postmodernist, right? He's, he's kind mm -hmm. of uh, taking, taking the best of both in some ways and seeing a larger whole in, in the whole process. So here we are back uh, in, in our discussion of time and go, mm -hmm. going uh, beyond the kind of uh, spatial understanding of time as, as moving from the past to the present to, to the future and, and, and having uh, something that uh, he calls the transparency of it and where we even find it difficult to kind of get what he's talking about. But I really liked when you 
kind of made this reference to his description of, uh, of earlier mutations of, of consciousness, of the archaic, the magical, and the mythical, uh, ju just describing that, uh, it, and he does fascinating quite this length in his book, uh, how in, in, in the magical there is no time as we, as, as, as we, as, as we understand it. And, in the, in, the, in the mythical time is a re repetitive. It's, 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 it's cycling around and, and, and then you read all this news and you understand, wow, this is a completely, those people, they're living in, in a different time. That's basically, it's just turning, it's always coming around. Spring, summer, uh, winter, it's always coming around. Uh, There's the, this, this linearity that we kind of naturally understand as progress or something like that uh, was not the world that we're living in. And, this kind of description opens up, as you said, the possibility uh, that our uh, the, the way how we take time and our understanding time for granted, we just think this is the world how it is. We get a little sense maybe this is not how the world is. It's maybe just how we perceive the world. And to loosen that, uh, there's a little bit of an understanding that what, what, his, uh, what he tries to bring in that maybe uh, – uh, the present, uh, the future is as present uh, in the present as the past is and as influential. That's maybe there's something uh, uh, where at least it, we could have a different relationship to all of that. And I find this uh, at least very intriguing to think that because it breaks out of our kind of uh, very mechanical, progress-oriented, mental, instrumental relationship Uh, that you were describing uh, also as as as, uh, as as where our culture was going and it was going doing it with, with the steam engine and with the industrial revolution but it's even more so doing it with uh, uh, with algorithm and the com computerization of the of the complexity of life right now so maybe he has to say something about this that there is a different relationship to all of that that is important to be not locked into Uh, uh, this, uh, this, this, this mental, mechanical understanding of what something like time is about. I, I talk, said a little much now, but I hope you, uh, you, 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 uh, you're with me in what I try to say here. Oh, yes, yes, very much. Uh, yeah, so, so I think one of the things that's helpful, like Gebser was friends with uh, Frederico Lorca, a poet, and I think it was through Lorca where, you know, his, his writing and the presence of the dead, right, the sort of the presence of the past became really palpable for him. And uh, Gebser's kind of pointing to, for us to, to, to think of not only the past that way, and we can do that when we begin to meditate on the structures as these, these time spaces, right, these time space ontologies where as you're mentioning the rhythmicity of the mythical where everything has an internal recurrence um that that that's really tangible right so so we have to kind of like consider that that we are mental beings and we are taking the conceptual and the abstract for granted but mm -hmm. perhaps that's not all there is and and i would probably say that as a tangible phenomenon um Gebser talks quite a bit about this in the second part of his book, Ever Present Origin, uh, that time, even if we can't concretize this sort of a chronon, this time freedom yet, our culture is nevertheless being kind of pressed into it, right? Like time is speeding up. Uh, clock time is being sort of energized and intensified continuously, mm -hmm. uh, more so than ever before. Quantification is complexifying, you know, more mm -hmm. so than ever before. There's a kind of a, a, a pressure that's sort of leaning into us right now, culturally, uh, as crisis, as anxiety, right? 
as, as the feeling that we're running out of time, let's say, to do something about climate change. So time, even in, in the mental age, is beginning to be not just an abstraction, but, but a deep felt sense of something, right? And I think the breakthrough for us is as difficult as perhaps the breakthrough through into the perspectival mental world was for, say, you know, the, the Renaissance period. He has this, um, you know, the, the story of uh, Petrarch climbing Mount Ventoux, right? And, right. and having sort of breakthrough moment where he realizes space in his soul for the first time. And he has this guilt around it. You know, he, he should be contemplating, uh, the, the inner workings of the soul and not not sort of falling in love with the landscape, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so for us, we, I think we have this sort of guilt around not understanding time that Gebser talks about. And this is, a, is something that we equally have to kind of break through and break into. Um, it, it's a kind of an eruption. We're experiencing it as a force coming from the outside. But what Gebser is saying is, is time is presence. So it doesn't need to be that, right? It doesn't need to be that. And, it's, and presence isn't just a sort of timeless now. It somehow contains past, present, and future in it. And if we wanted to explore this as, as um, uh, scholar practitioners, we can do that. You know, we can kind of lean into this and consider it as, as we're okay. doing our work. Uh, let, let, let me stop you here because I, I, I just want you to repeat what you just said because I, I think it's, it's fundamental. <laughs> Maybe this is the center point uh, of the whole time thing that we are talking about. Because you're saying uh, this perspective that he's inviting us to, where you, you we see this is very irritating. There's some uh, there's some inviting, but it's also kind of we feel guilt uh, guilty about to go there or whatever. But it's uncomfortable. He says time is not this linear thing; it's presence. And then you said and presence is not timeless; is not a timeless moment. It holds all of it. So. Mm-hmm. That there's a double move that you are making that uh, I just want to go together and make also with, with our audience because I think it's, 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 it's crucial. And, 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 and I really think there's something to it that's important and it's very fundamental to our perspectival or integral consciousness yes. uh, that, that the time is not linear, what we described several times, that it's presence. And then uh, the second part is even more important what you brought in. The presence is not just this time and moment that we sometimes think, oh, present now, this year. But it's all of it mm-hmm. in its presence. And, yes. and that, that's where the transparency comes in. And, and it's, it's hard to go there, but it's also very intriguing to go there. And oh, uh, yeah. uh, I, I guess that's what, what, what he's inviting us to, uh, isn't he? More than anything, you know, that... that if you were to take anything away from this conversation, the listeners, yeah. that's it. That's, and I think for Gebser too, that's why he begins and ends the ever present origin talking about the presence of time, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, you know, he talks about the a perspective of world, you know, time appears to be the fu- very fundamental function in its most complex nature. Right. So, and he goes on a very nonlinear list, you know, uh, time is rhythm, it's duration, it's mutation, it's mm-hmm. continuity and discontinuity. It's the unity of past, present, and future. It's the imagination. It's motoricity, right? It's the machine world. It's the technological uh, out-of-control world. It's mm-hmm. it's presence. It's the timeless now. So it's it's all of the structures, all the time forms that, that are capable of, of, of having existed and will exist are, are, they make up this intensified, presence and it is an intensification of consciousness to actually kind of the challenge the irritability of this is how do you hold all of that you know like how do you like because the mind wants to conceptualize it like okay this doesn't 
sense. So, Just if you may interrupt you again, because I really would like to repeat you again, because it's again, I think, very fundamental and very enlightening because you just said it's not not the machine world. It's not, not the, the rhythm. It's all of it at once. Yes. Uh, just to say, it's it's not that uh, uh, that he's inviting something that is not all this time uh, worlds that we were living in. He, he's not saying we have to get rid of it. Basically, we have to be transparent to all of it, mm-hmm. and, and that's a very kind of uh, uh, let's call it psychoactive understanding of integral. <laughs> uh, just just to go there because wherever you go with your own consciousness in mind, it's opening something that it's, at least for me is quite unfamiliar. Yes, and that's one of Kepsler's main uh, criteria for the integral structure as as a manifestation to look for diaphaneity, a, a transparency, seeing mm-hmm. through. And if if it does anything, it it's simply you know that's what time freedom means. That's what ego freedom means. It doesn't mean okay, let's lose ego. Okay, let's lose the time. Let's undo what has been done in in the mental age and the evolution of consciousness. It's it's rather a kind of a, a freedom for these things to, to arise. You know, origin is, is the freedom for these manifestations of time and space and being and individuality to come into being. And it doesn't undo that, that coming into being. It simply renders it transparent. It, you know, it, the, the world becomes diaphanous and, and, mm. and cl- clear. You know, he's always talking about clarity rather than wakefulness mm. or lucidity. It's a different type of, uh, of of consciousness, it's a different intensification of, of being of being here and being present. And certainly, it's it's a spiritual practice. But also, you know, if we were to bring this to our our intellectual work, our scholarship, as Gebser was doing, you know, going, mm-hmm. let's see through the mental age, because mm-hmm. it's only in seeing through the mental age that we have any chance of of this actualizing this mutation, right, of the mm-hmm. integral world. Um, not the mental. The mental is great. You know, the mental can can get really beefed up and, and do intellectual summer, somersaults and be really complex, but that's not a guarantee. Uh, the, the, he's looking for something that substantiates mm. all of that complexity, and that's this integrality. Let me, as we are also at the end of our time here, uh, let, let me come, uh, get a little cyclic here, and let's get to back to the beginning of our conversation. Where we talked about... Uh, the parallel of his times and the parallel of our times, uh, the challenges that he lived in the in the in the thirties and in the forties, uh, and, and, and how there's there's, there's a kind of a, a resonance in life experience that he had and that, that we are having right now to someone who would meet you, uh, let's say, on the street and has no kind of uh, integral anything uh, b- uh, background. And you just uh, start a conversation with him or her and, and, and somehow the conversation ends that you are the, the, the president of the Jean Gebser Society and, and he or she just wants to know, so, so what is this useful for, 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 the, for the time we are living in? Uh, how would you explain yourself? <laughs> Um, that's a really uh, difficult and challenging question. Um, it's, well, to me, to, to bring in what we were just discussing, it's, it's, it's a question of origin, right? Where, how did we come to be? Uh, Where are we presently, even in this crisis? How do we so thoroughly understand it that we don't need to have that anxiety anymore, right? Mm -hmm. So that we can have a kind of what Gebser calls a primal trust, and 
I think that more than anything, you know, that kind of confidence, not in the ego or the self, but mm. in the, in the spiritual, right. In, in the spiritual world, um, which is our world too. <laughs> that mm. primal trust I think is, is something invaluable to, to be mm. present for and be present with the, the at the very least, the, what we can do in this world is to be present in the way that, that Gepser is describing, right. Um, whether or not we figure out how to how to solve the crises and and how and so on i think presence and an intensity of presence and a clarity is is a good starting place right so i think cool okay let you know that's what i would say like that's what you get i take this i take this as an answer (laughs) uh (laughs) also with with the primary trust that you're bringing the bringing this to, I think this is a very powerful point in the end. Of course, we only could touch a little bit uh, on John Gebser in this conversation. Uh, 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 that's, uh, that was a given from the beginning, but I had to say it was really pure joy to talk with you, Jeremy. Thank you so much. Uh, just as a last thing, if people want to look up your work uh, on the internet, where should they go? Sure. Uh, thank you, Thomas. Uh, so you can go to my Patreon uh, or actually just go to my website, Jeremy Daniel Johnson. Dot com or my press revelor pre, level sorry revelor.press where the book is going to be coming out seeing through the world and uh finally neurolearning.com which i will be probably teaching a class on gepser and the ever-present origin if folks are interested in actually taking a, a semester-long class on that next year all right so uh folks uh pick it up uh i as you as you got from this conversation it's worth it and jeremy thank you so much for being with us thank you thomas